listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening. This is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse. My goal for this show is to educate and to help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse and to inform all others who are not involved in a DVA situation. If you're listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me uh, at any time, actually, you can email me at shereencwr at gmail.com, and I would love to hear from you. I would like to remind everyone that our show is on Thursday nights, um, 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 Pacific Time. 6 p.m. Pacific time, that is, and the second and fourth Thursdays of each month. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want direct links to the programs on these services, you may go to the homepage on the website cwrtalknetwork.com and click on Host Profiles, and you'll see my name in the drop-down menu. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE, also 1-800-799-7233. And you are going to love my guest tonight, Rachel, and we will have a public service announcement, and when I get back, I'll tell you more about her. Dave. What are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037, so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman, something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, all right, but don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, let's just hope Steve2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Okay, welcome back. Um, Rachel is my guest tonight, and I've known her for four years. Um, we work on our PhDs together. Uh, her um, PhD is on performance psychology, and mine is a little bit different. It's on teaching and technology is my psychology PhD. Okay, I'm going to tell you, we laugh a lot together and we cried a lot together because PhDs are extremely difficult to do. <laughs> but let me tell you a little bit about her. That was about us. <laughs> she was born and raised in New York, studied in Jerusalem. She received her BS from the University of Alabama in restaurant hospitality. She struggled with drugs for three years and with help from her family, she has been clean for 28. She worked as food service director in many locations for several years. The opportunity came up to work as a substance abuse counselor, and since she had experience in that, she wanted to give back to the community. She's uh, now she was, she then became certified as a justice, a criminal justice addictions professional, 
when she decided to return back to college, where she received her master's in addiction counseling at Grand Canyon University. She then received her certification in clinical trauma, clinical abuse, and is a licensed chemical dependency counselor. She has been married for 23 years and has a 21-year-old son. She now lives on a ranch in Texas by Hondo, Texas, with two dogs, lots of cats and cattle, and one horse. She's the expert in so many things that she's our go-to gal when we have a problem. And so tonight, I asked her to speak on behavioral disorders and domestic violence, trauma, and healing. So if you'd like to call and talk to our guest about any of these topics, please call 917-889-8078. I'm going to give that to you again. 917-889-8078. And let me see if we can pull her out of the green room. Here she comes. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Am I out of the green room? You're out of the green room. (laughs) You are on the air live <laughs> okay so my first question and we discuss this um a lot because it's my area and your area you're more trauma-based i guess but i'm sure you do some behavioral disorders but my first question yep. is um I, as related to behavioral disorder toward domestic abuse victims i know we always hear about personality disorders but we never hear about behavioral disorders that much so can you share your expertise on behavioral disorders and um, uh, uh, abusers, basically? Um, well, the way that I look at things is either through a dialectical behavior lens or a cognitive behavioral, um, yeah. which is looking at how thoughts and actions interact. Um And, you know, you can read Aaron Beck, you can read Albert Ellis, but behaviorally, we do our behaviors for a reason. We don't do anything without a purpose behind it. So if someone is an abuser, they might be doing that because maybe they felt powerless and by abusing, they feel more powerful. You know, maybe they have... Um, the thinking error, it's a thinking error called refusal to be dependent, which is I can handle everything by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, When in reality, you know, no one is an island. We all need to ask for help at some point. And, you know, as as it refers to addiction, you know, there's a saying in the recovery community, you alone can do it, but you cannot do it alone. You have to have people there to give you that feedback that you need and to call you on your behaviors that are not healthy. Yeah, I have a question since you're really into um, the addiction stuff and you understand that a lot. In your experience, um, what do you think the percentages of addicts and alcoholics um, perpetrating domestic violence? Ooh, that's tough. I don't, just, I mean, I well, can't guess at what the statistic is, um, but right. based on the people that I've talked to, um, a lot of times what happens is they'll do something and not remember it the next day. Um, if you remember the movie, um, 
the perfect storm. There's yes. one scene where Danny Wahlberg and Diane Lane, you know, he just gets back and the next morning he wakes up with a shiner and she looks at him and goes, Oh, did I do that? <laughs> and they've been drinking the night before. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, I think if a person overindulges in anything that is mind or mood altering, there's a possibility that, you know, they will do something physically or, you know, verbally abusive to somebody without yeah. meaning to, without thinking about it. It's just kind of that knee jerk reaction and they say or do something that they can't take back. Right. You know, I'm kind of glad that you bring that up. Um, and so do you consider that domestic violence if they have a fight and they're intoxicated and they never troll issue, but one of them ends up injured. Well, that's a toughie. Um, yeah, I do, because it's all about the power differential. Whether it is monetary, you know, you you have situations where one person in the relationship makes more money than the other person. So well, they saying, are the powerful ones. Yeah, what I'm saying, though, so, is uh, there's no um, background of domestic violence. Um, it just happened when they became intoxicated. But it depends on if there's a pattern. Well, that's why I said if, if there was no once, pattern. That's one thing. If yeah. there is no pattern and it's a one-time thing and they go and seek help, then I would say that there's a tendency there. Yeah. But when it's a repeated thing. Yeah. I mean, words, words hurt a lot more than the bumps and bruises and the, the broken bones because yes. those can heal. Yeah. The words can never be unheard. Right. And, right. you know, I I think that when people look at domestic abuse, they think of, oh, someone getting beaten. But it's right. a lot more than that. It is. It is. Um, in fact, psychological abuse, as I discussed in my uh, dissertation, is far worse than any physical abuse could ever possibly happen. It's just it's the psychological damage of the not only the words, but the fact that they would hit them. Someone, you know, try wrapping your brain around someone who hits you that you think loves you. How, how do you wrap your brain around that? Mm -hmm. That was the hardest thing for me to psychologically or cognitively um, concentrate or accept that someone I loved would hit me. Right. And that, I mean, and that brings up, you know, the whole, a whole nother issue of, you know, okay, so this person has done it once. Are they going to do it again? And if they do, then what do I do? Um, there, There's a school of thought. It's called dialectical behavioral therapy. And it looks at, you know, the, the polar opposites of things. And, you know, one of the things that they talk about is, you know, validation. 
I remember being told when I was a kid, negative attention is better than no attention at all, which is why some kids will act out because if they can't get the attention they want in a, in a positive way, they'll do it in a negative way. And this, you know, this can lead to future behavioral issues. You know, if no one's going to listen to me, then I'll, you know, throw a baseball through a window or whatever. And on and on until it escalates. Yeah. You know, they get involved in the criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and sometimes the people that are having these issues don't realize that it is fueled by their, their need for validation. And, you know, I, I was talking to you earlier about how, you know, a lot of times when sexual abuse happens, the person will become, to- they'll totally disassociate with their physical body. You know, it's not them that this is being done to. Their, their essence is somewhere else. Yes. Watching, because... That's the only way they know how to deal with it. Yes. Yeah, in fact, I had a multiple personality person on a few weeks ago, and she was telling me, actually, it was her mother that was, and her mo- and she said that her mother would, like, just, uh, when she was a little girl, this was happening to her by her own biological father, sexually abused, and that she would go off into her own world and that's what helped create those other personalities was what she understood so so it can have major major effects on an individual all the right and and learning how to deal with it is is the hard part you know this this is related to trauma like PTSD. You know, people associate PTSD with combat veterans. Yes. But people who've been sexually assaulted have PTSD. People who've been in horrific accidents have PTSD. I mean, I was in a car wreck, and to this day, when I hear the wheels lock up and the screeching, I'll tense up because. I mean, that was the last sound I heard before I ended up on the steering wheel. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when when you're looking at trauma and how it's associated, you know, with all of this, it, you know, PTSD is any experience you've had that is just, you know, you can relive it. Right, and physical abuse is also one of those. And there might pro- actually probably even some psych- uh, verbal abuse probably would even um, cause PTSD, would you, wouldn't you? you say? I think it can. I mean, when you see things, when you hear things, when you're exposed to things, I mean, when, when somebody has seen a let's use domestic abuse here. Um, When somebody has seen a parent beating the other parent, 
mm-hmm. a few things happen. One is they might think that that's the normal thing. Yeah. The other is they might think that's never going to happen. I'm never going to let that happen to me or I'm never going to do that to somebody. Right. Um, and sometimes it's very hard when somebody realizes that they said this would never happen, but they find themselves in the same situation that, you know, their parent was in or a family member was in. Yeah. And, you know, that, that leaves that indelible mark of, you know, I saw this and I can never unsee it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, of my ex-husband's, um, family, the oldest marries abusers. The second child kind of got away enough, you know, it got out, got away from his dad and did not become an abuser and has nothing to do with, well, it has very little to do with the family because he lives several states away. And then there's mine, who, um, uh, my ex, who became a worse abuser than his dad. And then there was the youngest who also got away and, um, as far as I know, does not abuse. It's really but hard to burst that cycle. I can imagine I mean, that. Whether, whether, whether it's, you know, the cycle of abuse or, you know, the cycle of people being a victim. that have, that, that being a victim and people that have substance abuse issues, you know, if they were raised thinking, you know, the way to make money is to cook and sell dope, then they don't know anything different. And if they want to change, it can be very difficult for them because they don't know know, anything else. They don't know any difference. You know, they've just lived one way their whole life. And it's... You know, or, or, you know, I went out with a guy once and his in-laws, the way they communicated was by yelling at each other. And I think, I think there was some hearing loss, you know, thrown in there. Of course, that might have been because they were always yelling at each other. But that's how their parents communicated. So it wasn't that they were angry. They were just very loud speakers. Yeah. But if you didn't know that, you would think that, you know, they hated each other. <laughs> well, and yeah, and, that would be, know, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, and what was really sad was um, his ex-mother-in-law passed away, and within six weeks, his ex-father-in-law died because he he missed her. Uh, yes. You know, he that he was used to her, and that was their way of communicating, and you know, nobody else would have communicated with him that way. Yeah. <laughs> no one would help out. <laughs> yeah, no. They wouldn't scream at him from across, you know, across the yard or whatever. Right. And there's some people, sometimes people do things um, that are different than others, and that's a form of love. 
and for them that was evidently screaming at each other across the room. Yeah. And you know it's it, it's interesting to see different ethnicities the way they deal with what is okay and what is not okay in right. terms of you know or what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in relationships. So right. Yeah. It's different everywhere you go, I guess. Now, in the study that um, I've been working on, and I showed it to you a little bit, on behavior disorder, um, instead of, there are some times you see people and they don't fit into the mold. I get really tired of everybody saying, oh, my husband's an abuser, he's a narcissist. He may not be a narcissist. He may have something, yeah, he might be sociopath, he might be histrionic, he might be... Who knows? But this person right here, sometimes they don't fit into any mold. Uh, that's a personality disorder. And his last name is Jaffe, J-A-F-F-E. And he talked about mm-hmm. emotional, intelligence, uh, emotional intelligence and aggressive tendencies. He said um, that the lack of emotional self-regulation and empathy were directly related to aggressive behaviors such as physical, verbal, anger and hostility what have right. you seen or experienced with behavior um people that are that you work with i know that's drug and alcohol but um behavior and not personality disorders as far as when they are when they have domestic violence tendencies and i i do know that they have the power and control issue um they, but besides that it, what are Something it's really interesting. Um, I will only speak for myself and my history, okay, mm-hmm. because I'm not going to put words in anybody else's mouth. Right. Um, but I know with me, I mean, I was smart enough, I was on the ball enough emotionally to be able to manipulate to get whatever I wanted. Right. You know, I I would um, I I would run game on friends. I would, um, you know, say and do incredibly ugly things because to my parents, because I knew how they would react. Right. Emotionally, and I knew that they didn't want me to. I mean. They didn't know what was going on. Um, you know, it was later that I told them what was going on. But anger anger's a really powerful tool. I was gonna say very useful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. For um, abusers. You know all all types it, of abusers. It is for sure. Because you know, especially somebody that has not had that validation. If they think that this person who quote unquote loves them is going to leave them, which will make them worthless again, then they'll stay and put up with it, whatever. Yeah. Because for some, you know, in some way they're getting the validation that they need. And 
you know, guilt also plays a part in all of this. You know, I I had a friend other than you who was abused, um, <laughs> and her, and other her big thing was other than you, yes. I mean, collecting friends. That that came like out that. that came out the wrong way. Okay, sorry, no, you're good, you're good. sorry, listening audience, that came out wrong. Um, no, I, I love you. You know it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I had I had another friend that was a victim of of domestic violence, and the thing was, he was so skilled that he had her convinced that everything was her fault. Oh, you mean the, your friend was the abuser, or your, the friend was a girl? The friend was a girl, and yeah. he would abuse her, and he would say, "Well, you know, none of this would have happened if." And she had, right. she had not had any validation for so long that right. she would take whatever he said and buy into it. And she was like, "Well, this is my fault that he's doing this," and yeah. it got really frustrating because it's like no it's not your fault you know yeah you you didn't ask for this right and he used aggression or anger right he used both Mm -hmm. he was Mm -hmm. very skillful at manipulating yes Uh um you know he he had her believing that she was either you know um slime on an amoeba's butt or <laughs> the most wonderful woman in the world and he couldn't live without her. Oh yeah, that, they're really good at that. And and she was always kept off balance enough. And and, and that, you know, that's one of the things in you know, substance abuse curriculum is, you know, have you ever done these things to people? Have you ever threatened to leave them if they didn't give you what you wanted? Have you ever, um, you know, said hurtful words? Yeah. Have you ever raised a hand against someone? And yeah. a lot of people, you know, when they look at it that way, it's like, oh, wow, maybe I do have an issue. Um, of course, and then since they're in treatment, they don't have access to whatever it was that they were using to numb that. Right. The thing about narcissists that I love so much is um, just ask them. They don't have a problem. Everybody else has the problem. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. that's when you know you got a narcissist. You're like, yep, we know your number, buddy. Yeah, it's, ev- <laughs> it's everybody else's fault, not mine. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I do got to share a couple of experiences with you um, on this uh, same area. About a year ago, I was dating this guy, and I started seeing some behaviors that um, were kind of sketchy. And so I said, hey, are you dating someone else? And um, because he started going out with his mom a lot for dinner and stuff, to movies. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. And so I so said, uh, "Mom was like a five foot two, you know, thirty eight quadruple E long bombshell." Oh yeah, pretty much. Anyway, so he starts <laughs> getting angry with me. He starts getting angry with me, and I'm like, "Oh okay, okay, yeah, I get it. You're not." And then back back of my head's like, 
number one, if he was not angry, then I would think, you know, he'd be saying like, no, not at all. But he got really angry. And then I knew, oh, yeah, he's going out with someone else. But I didn't say anything more. Mm-hmm. I All I said to him was, um, I'm taking a trip to California. He goes, when? I said, tomorrow. He goes, when were you going to tell me? I said, I'm telling you today I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> and I just need to get away from him for a few days and for like a week. And then I came back. But, um, yeah, it was it was kind of funny. He started yelling at me about that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, guilty as charged. That's when you know you got a much. Yeah, oh yeah, he had a lot. He started to have them with me, and I started going like, you know, I'm very susceptible. I mean, I'm not susceptible. I, I'm I'm very perceptive of um, everything these days, and so I watch absolutely everything everybody, you know, any guy I go out with does. And, um, mm-hmm. he started to have some of those control issues. Yes. And I was, I was shocked. But the thing I, is you realized I it and got out of it. Yeah. And that's how fast I got out of it. It was just a few months we were dating when I realized, Ooh, yep. I think it was three months we were dating. And I said, yeah, I'm going to California. And when I came back, I said, boy, I haven't heard from you in a while. And he goes, he goes, well, I'm sure, you know, you're praying and all that, and you're not supposed to see me anymore. I said, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> so I never heard from him again. Actually, I did hear from him about six months later. And he goes, I'm married. And I'm, I go, awesome. Actually, just before he told me he's married, I said, hey, good to hear from you. I'm sorry we weren't a very good match. And I wanted him to know up front that we weren't a good match and I wasn't interested again, you know, and he's like, Oh, I got married. And, and the first thought to my mind was that poor girl. She yeah. does not know what she's in for. She doesn't. And I feel so bad for her. And, uh, so anyway, I, I just hope she realizes before she's too many years into the relationship. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Oh, it's not No, at all. Nope, too much pain. Okay, girlfriend, I'm going to go to a public service announcement, and we'll be right back, okay? Okay, then. And you will love this one. Oh. In 50 feet, turn left. Why are you driving so slowly? After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in .1 miles. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Oh, that's a good one. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. With, and I'm with Rachel. Rachel, how did you like that commercial? I thought it was hysterical. It, it actually, it reminds me of um, something I've heard a bunch of clients of mine say, and that is that every time they do something stupid like drink and drive, they break out <laughs> in handcuffs. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's good. That's good. 
<laughs> and you but, work with a few of those, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, just a few. <laughs> just a few, like every day but all day long. But it's funny. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, the, the thing about these guys is they're smart. Yeah. You know, if they would if they would put a 64th of the energy they put into <clears throat> finding a way to get money to get, you know, their fix for the day, I mean, they first off, they'd be millionaires. Yeah. And second off, they wouldn't be sitting where they were. I mean, they're they're smart creative people and somewhere along the line they they took that turn that led them into a lifestyle that wasn't healthy for them right and you know it's what we keep telling our clients is you know it's it's the behavior it's not you it's right. your behavior. Right. And that, you know, that goes for abusers too. You know, they, if you think about it, most people that are abusers, whether they're men or women, they're very attractive. They're very charismatic. Very they're, charismatic. You know, <clears throat> you know, and you look at them and, you know, you might hear someone say, oh, yeah, they're just, they're really a piece of work or, you know, they do this. And you can't fathom that because, just looking at them, you can't imagine them doing that behavior. Right. <clears throat> right. And they do. Right. Yeah. And it's a, you know, what we keep telling the, the clients is this is, you know, we're talking about the behavior. We're not talking right. about you as an individual. We're talking about your behavior. Right. And that's what has to change. And the same, the same holds true for abusers. You know, it's 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 really hard if you get that rush from the power that you hold over whoever. Right. <clears throat> and that's why after you leave, the abuse becomes worse. You remember how I was um, at times. I was just a basket yeah. case at times. And I'm like, oh, I don't. I'm just so upset. And you'd like, let's talk, you know, and <clears throat> and we'd be chit-chatting back and forth. And every day, every day he would text my cousin or me or somebody to threaten me or to manipulate me or tell me something that would upset me. When he sold my horse, mm-hmm. it was probably the worst uh, ever. Uh, I was just devastated, absolutely devastated. Yeah. And, that, and to him, you know, and, and was, go ahead. It was nothing. It was, no, it was nothing. It was power and control. Exactly. And I mean, and that's what most of this, you know, with domestic violence and abuse and, you know, with child abuse, it's about the control. Yeah. You know, even if it's something that seems as innocent as, you know, money, you know, in you know, one of the issues is that some people, if they make more money than their spouse, they're going to hold it over them. Well, I make more money than you, so I can do whatever I want with it. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. Right. Um, but it's that it's that power differential, and that's 
and you know, as a counselor, that's something that I really look at because as a counselor, <clears throat> I am the one that is seen as being the more powerful in the relationship. Yeah. Because I am helping this person to deal with their issues. So I need to be really sure that as a counselor, I am not saying or doing something that is unethical or inappropriate. Right. Right. And, you know, when you go to a counselor as, you know, for domestic abuse, you know, you go because my husband's hitting me. You, know, you need to be sure that the counselor that you're going to is going to realize that power that, you know, they're <laughs> looking, when you're looking at a counselor, you're being looked at as the expert on something. Yes. And I will say I never recommend um, a counselor to a victim unless they, unless the counselor has domestic violence experience. Because right. they have more empathy for the uh, person, and they understand it more. And the the girl and the guy may come and say, "Hey, we're having problems. We don't know what it is." And <clears throat> unless they have experience with domestic violence, now domestic violence is not always violent, like we have discussed. It's manipulation, right. and so yes. the this the. Uh, counselor needs to be able to identify um, that power and control and where it is and who has it because the victim, the abuser will start to act like a victim and the victim will start to cover for the abuser. Exactly. Exactly. It's the, it's not my fault. Yeah. It's her fault. And this is why. Right. Or or it can be something of, you know, well, you know, I'm doing this. I'm providing the home and I'm providing the this yeah. and I'm providing the that. And so, you know, she she owes it to me. No, it doesn't work that way. Right. And you know what? You've brought this up several times and I like the topic that you're bringing up. You believe and I haven't heard this in this uh, realm. So let's talk about it a little bit more. That when there is a differential, a too large of a differential in something such as knowledge, such as uh, um, uh, finances and so forth, that that is a that is a do you think that's a catalyst towards becoming an abuser or do you think abuse is already established prior to that or what, what are your thoughts? Part of me thinks that it's already been established because the person um, is looking for somebody that they can kind of hold hold that over their head. Yeah, if that makes sense. Okay. You know, it might not be it might not be a conscious thing. Yeah. But it could be, you know. You know, I meet this person, I really like this person, and then I find out certain things about them, and, you know, I realize, well, maybe I can, you know, control the purse strings a little more, or maybe I can, you know, the big joke about, you know, 
<clears throat> men and women have a fight, and the woman says, okay, well, you're sleeping on the couch tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and using that as the power differential. But that, you know, I, I don't think that 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 is, you know, I think that's grasping for straws because women have traditionally been the ones that have been abused. Yeah. And now there are some women that are just as abusive or more abusive than men. Yes. But what they're finding is is females are more psychologically abusive. <clears throat> About 4% are physically abusive to the point of murder. Um, But um, if there's a physical altercation, my first question is who who started it? Because an abuser, a victim will lash back out at at an abuser physically. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's because he pushed her to the point of no return. And that's why it's difficult for law enforcement to identify who the victim is and who the abuser is. And, you know, with 96% of all victims, uh, 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 murder victims being female, if I said to a, a, a cop, here's $1,000, are you going to put it on the 96 or are you going to put it on the four? A lot of them put it on the four. And that's a little disturbing to me. Do you know what I'm saying? I live by Vegas. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. You do live by Vegas. Yeah, remember, I we forgot. hang out when you come to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so uh, that it was good just breakfast. my... Yeah, it was a very good place, huh? Uh, but that's just my kind of analogy. Um, I would like someone with a little bit more experience and a lot of places have DV advocates. And I don't know if you work with any of these um, type people, because I don't think you're in the judicial part of it anymore. Are you? Well, I mean, we're in the, we're in the corrections part of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the, it's one of the things that I find interesting is that, um, how, how substances lead people can lead people to act in ways that are massively inappropriate, um, whether it's you know physically or psychologically. Um, you know, I think. Wow, that was fast. Um, I I think that. Um, People, people need to be more conscious of what's going on around them. Right. But truth be told, it is very difficult to identify an abuser unless you have experience. Because these guys, yes. like you said, they're so charismatic. They would never, ever do that. No. Just ask their friends. And I think and I think sometimes it's it's people wanting to believe that they wouldn't do it. Right. Because but it's you know very what? it's very hard to yeah. to buy into that. Yeah. Well and, and they might not be able to comprehend it themselves. But if you ask any of my ex husband's friends, 
that I'm lying, that he never hit me. Um, they would all say that. They would say, I'm lying, he never hit me. The only thing is, is I have hospital documentation that proves he hit me with the pictures mm-hmm. of the black eyes and the bruises all over. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's not hard to prove, but his friends um, would say he would never do that. They would absolutely say that. But part he of it never- is, you know, it, it is very similar to addiction. We don't want to believe that our husband or our son or our daughter or whoever is doing that. Right. So we are very good at fooling ourselves. Right. Well, and, you know, when victims are in shock, I mean, I told law enforcement he had never hit me because I didn't remember him hitting me because there is no way on God's green earth did I ever think he would ever hit me. So why would he hit me? Why would he beat me to a pulp? I don't know. And I told him, no, he didn't hit me because... I just kept telling him that because number one, I, I didn't think he had, but what they, what we don't realize is immediately following is shock. Right. Tell me a little bit about that. Have you had any experience with um, some PTSDs in shock or um, trauma victims in shock? And um. I I wouldn't say shock so much as um, just the belief that they they had this horrible and this is from people in the military specifically yeah that you know they have trouble reconciling the fact that I'm a good person and I know I'm a good person but yet I I you know when went into a town and had people lay face down in the mud. And that's not being a nice person or a good person. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I've I've had that, but I really haven't had someone that, you know, truly did not remember it, just lost it out because they couldn't handle it. And shock is usually temporary. You probably know that. It's um, usually immediately following, probably could last a couple days. It actually took me to remember absolutely everything that happened. It it probably took me a year. And it's hard. I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer that our our brains, our minds, our psyches are very good at protecting us. And if they don't think we can handle it. You know, we we won't handle it. It's like I I don't know if you can tell this, but I use a lot of media in my counseling. But the last episode of Mash, where Hawkeye basically went nuts, and that's a very scientific term, by the way. I just want to be sure you oh, know that. Oh, nice, um, good. That's good to know. Yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> if it was a cashew or a walnut, but or maybe a peanut. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but he, you know, they they were under fire, and he kept telling this woman to keep her quote unquote chicken quiet. And it turned out that it was a baby. But <gasps> until he could face it, he could not. He kept referring to it as chicken because 
that he could handle that. Mm-hmm. He could not handle the fact that he kept telling her to keep her baby quiet, so she strangled it. Or no, she oh, smothered no. it. Oh no! Um, so you know, our 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 minds are very powerful, and they will not, you know, if we're not ready or able to handle something, they yeah. won't let us handle it. You know, it'll it'll keep sending out little reminders, but at the same time, we have to, you know, we have to be really careful about stuff like that. And yeah. as, you know, as a counselor. <clears throat> You really have to be careful about that because if somebody has, you know, if you say something, you know, that's why at the top of the show when you said, you know, if you feel yourself starting to get, you know, starting to re-experience or feeling, you know, call this number because a lot of times, you know, it's it's really hard. Yeah. It's yeah. very hard. I'm glad you used MASH. They do have a lot of um, real realistic to them. Realism. I'm sorry. MASH, that show oh, MASH, has yeah. a lot of realism to it. Yes, it does. I mean, it is a comedy, but it does have a lot of realism, which is good. Because sometimes, like you said, we need to look at <clears throat> tragedy kind of a little bit in a comedic some way so that our brain could actually absorb right so that we can handle it right and that's why sometimes victims will kind of laugh at at some things because that's how we handle it otherwise we'd be crying all the time (laughs) that's true and that's not a good thing no um, I think it is for a while to get it out and just, you know, scream it out, get it out. Um, and then. Yes, primal then scream start, therapy. Yes, yes. And then start to put it behind you. Um, do you think that's good? <laughs> you call that primal scream therapy? Is that a, is, is yes. that a clinical um, <laughs> You know, I think, I think as with everything, you know, when something ends, you have to grieve. Yes. But that doesn't mean that you spend the rest of your life grieving. Right. It means that you grieve for a while and then you put your big boy through the looms on or your big girl panties on and you move forward in life. And hopefully you've learned something that will help you to not get in similar situations again. And sometimes, you know, we're human beings. We make mistakes. Sometimes we have to screw up a lot before, before we finally get it. And let me ask you this about moving on. And I know you work with a lot of PTSD people, or at least mm-hmm. I know your your PhDs on PTSD people. And um, right. is it difficult sometimes for them to move on? Because I've noticed <clears throat> on victims that it's difficult for them to get past the PTSD, and they actually kind of enjoy being a victim and taken care of. Does that make sense? And they want everyone. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. So tell me your experience with that. Um, I think to a certain extent, yes, it's really nice to be taken care of for a while. But yeah. part of life is moving on. And that means that you work really hard to get past it. And yeah. hopefully you use it to help somebody else. 
you pay it for. Yeah. 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 I actually knew and someone that, unfortunately, like, uh, she is on disability because of her PTSD. And mm-hmm. um, a, therapy, a therapist friend of mine said to her, hey, you know what? Um, I could get you a job. We could start working you forward in your journey and being self-sufficient and probably getting more money than disability gives you and taking care of yourself and so forth and, she and so on. Yes, yeah, she said, oh, that's triggering me. And she started to hate her. And I said, hey, I read the text between you and her. There was nothing to be angry about her. She was just reaching out to you. And, and it was just uh, I think the upsetting was the manipulation part that they kind of learned that they need to have to because this is their safety net and don't take right. it away from me because I can't take care of myself. I just can't do it. They're afraid. They fear. They fear. But the thing is, they can do it. They choose not to. They can do it. They choose not to. That That's totally oh, how yeah. I felt. And so they kind of stay in that victim mode and the manipulation mode to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I see it as well. I've seen it actually uh, two or three times now, um, shockingly enough, uh, in domestic violence victims who actually, in my opinion, that remains a victim. There's uh, three Mm -hmm. levels of domestic violence they call victim. survivor and thriver and thriver are those that help others whereas a survivor right. is someone getting out and a victim just is in the middle of it Stays or they are yeah 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 they don't move yeah they don't move they don't move exactly so okay my last question to you then is healing how do how have you seen people with ptsd or what would you suggest those that with PTSD or, or uh, domestic violence uh, wounds um, heal based on your experience and your P- um, PhD? <laughs> first off, get a therapist that you, can, that you feel comfortable with, that you can talk to, that knows what they're doing, that knows and has dealt with, with – um, clients that have had PTSD. Yeah. Um, get a, Become a member of a support group, whether it is just, you know, informal or something that is specifically for PTSD. Um, you know, find, find people that have been through it that have survived it. Um, I think what I read from Vygotsky, is that how you pronounce his name? I love Vygotsky, yes. I know you do. You want to marry I, him, but he's dead. I know. So you can't do that. <laughs> I know. That would be a, that would be a little strange. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, he, you were taught, you know, you talked about the more knowledgeable other. And yes. I think especially in cases of domestic violence and PTSD, you need to have someone that, is the more knowledgeable other that can help you realize that this is not going to last forever. Yes. This is, and I think that, you know, 
yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it hurts. Yes, you're miserable. But it's not always going to be that way. And one day you are going to wake up and you're going to be whole. You're going to be whole, is that what you said? Yeah, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be a whole person again. Yeah. Yeah. W-H-O-L-E, not H-O-L-E like a hole in the ground. Yeah. (laughs) Let me share something with you. I got a therapist right after this all occurred because I thought I needed so much help. And what was going on with my brain? And, you know, I was a basket case. And um, he knew nothing. And I said, and then I found this group, uh, this domestic violence it was a religious domestic violence group um, called um, abuse ministry services uh, abuse recovery ministry services which I love and I said I really need a therapist and she's like well there aren't any that know what to do and we don't really recommend it anyway she was right I checked out I went this one therapist I went to he said I don't know anything about domestic violence but I can let you talk Right. And, but sometimes just talking is is what's going to help because you're getting it all out. Yeah, it didn't help a lot. I, I will say that what did help was the um, was the uh, the group that I attended. And then uh, when I came back to Utah, I got another therapist, which was working really well. And then she quit. Um, she moved, not quit. She moved. She quit the, the group I was going to. And then um, they gave me this other one. And, you know, because domestic violence is my area of study, I knew more than she mm-hmm. did. It was more yeah, of a that's teaching never a good thing. <laughs> yeah. It was more of a teaching No, you shouldn't be paying your therapist <laughs> to teach them. They should be paying you. I, I agree. <laughs> but anyway, so you agree that social groups are are the way to oh, yeah. do it? Yeah, because finding people that have been through the same thing can help you. It's so important. It was so important to me. Now, mine was a physical thing, but my dissertation is on um, social media groups of um, domestic violence right. victims is what that's on. And that's because I have, I'm in several groups. I love them. I love it when I can go to people and say, man, I hate this guy. And this is why. And they're like, yeah, we understand. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. It's actually very helpful because, you know, um, when I went to that first group, um, it wasn't online, of course. Um, It was, the abuse recovery ministry services and that group was so understanding i said does anybody besides myself want to kill their abuser and they're like oh yeah we all do <laughs> i'm like yay i'm not alone so they're a bunch of homicidal maniacs <laughs> oh, yeah well not really but yes um it, it's a thought that crosses our mind because of all the pain that they not only caused, but are continuing to cause and no one will stop it. No one will stop it. And nor can they stop it. So um, abusers continue to abuse. And that's why 74% or 72% of all people that are killed, um, it, it's at leaving leaving or have left the abuser Mm -hmm. 74% of all DV deaths are when you're leaving or after you've left because it becomes exponential following 
because that's where they're starting to lose control, right? So that's why they yeah. up the ante and they continue to control more. That's right. But they're not, I mean, yes, it might be the quote-unquote ultimate control, but in the end they end up losing because they've lost all control over you. Right, right. Yeah, unfortunately. And if you go to jail, you know, you've lost control of your life and they get to tell you when to get up and when to pee and when to eat yeah. and all that other fun stuff. Well, yeah, and that's one of my concerns is because victims go to jail frequently. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's, you know, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. And so that's what I fight against, but um, is more information where the information needs to be exhibited. Yes. So, girlfriend, I miss you so much, and I'm glad that um, you came on my show. Do you want to say anything more to my audience about anything about what we've discussed? Any closing comments, closing arguments? Yoda wants to know. (laughs) Yoda wants to know. Okay. Yes, Shireen is Master Yoda. Um, (laughs) The big thing is don't give up and remember that you are worth it. You know, higher powers don't make mistakes, and you're not, you know, you're on the face of this earth for a reason, and that reason is not to be treated like crap. Yeah, amen. Well, I really appreciate you joining me, Rach. Um, no, I got a, lot, got a lot of good things going on, and you do too. I'm so proud of you. I can't tell you how proud of you I am getting your whole proposal put through the the whole ringer big d the same thing he's uh got his proposal going through the big ringer too so that's wonderful (laughs) that's wonderful and hey when we and go ahead you're going to be next yeah i was going to tell you when when i get off here i'll i'll text you and tell you what my chair said last night (laughs) oh okay oh yeah life is good for me i'll tell you (laughs) continue paying out the money <laughs> Don't we all? All right, dear sister, Don't I love you, and I will love text you, you later tonight. Okay. Okay. Good night. Okay. Night. Okay, as Rachel leaves us, I want to uh, tell you about my next guest in two weeks. It was supposed to be a dear friend of mine. Her her name is Melissa Hathaway, and she has uh, she was a victim of abuse and has. Her life has flourished after she became, um, after she uh, uh, continued her journey of domestic violence following that incident and getting on the road. But because her husband is now uh, very, very ill from cancer and um, he's going downhill really rapidly, I asked her if she would like to continue. And she said, right now is not a really good time. And I agree with her. Right now would not be a good time. And so my cousin, uh, Grace, as much as I love her, introduced me to a a girl named Sarah in whom I spoke to last night. I won't use her last name, and I'll tell you why. Because she's still um, married to her abuser. She's getting out, or she's out. Actually, she just got out. Um, And she said that it's so important for her that people – see the signs and see um, what's going on and before or during or if you're a family member. So we're going to talk about signs while you're dating. What signs do you need to look for? 
We're going to talk about signs after you're married. Unfortunately, that happens. Um, we're going to talk about signs and things to look for if you're a family member of someone you may suspect to be a victim. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not always going to see bruises. It's not always going to be bruises. It's going to be some emotional stuff as well. And so everybody needs to know this. Even if you're not in a situation like this, you may meet someone who is, and you need to know what those things are. And so that's what she and I are going to talk about in two weeks. That'll be on the 13th. It's a really important show, especially uh, for those that are dating, uh, especially for those that um, may think that they're in an abusive relationship, that they want to learn more about what that looks like. So important that you listen to my next show. Okay, that will be on September 13th, and again, that's at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central, or 9 Eastern. I thought I'd give you all those times, and I want to thank you for listening tonight, and have a good night.